Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. And this week, we're going to focus in on the topic of diversity and inclusion, but specifically with regard to recruitment. So I'm delighted that an expert in this area, Yvonne Smythe, who's the Group Head of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion for Hayes PLC, is joining me to educate me on this topic, hopefully, Um, but almost certainly, actually. So Yvonne's (laughs) got more than 25 years professional recruitment experience, numerous plaudits, is recognised as being an expert in this area and, in fact, in the industry. Um, But interestingly, just as an aside, I noticed that you started out as a litigation lawyer. So Yvonne, do you want to give us a little potted history so that you can introduce yourself? Absolutely, 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 Lucinda. I'm absolutely <laughs> delighted to uh, to be with you this afternoon. Um, yes, so I started off life as a lawyer. Um, I think it was going to be, did I go into medicine or law? And I was rubbish at science, so law was the, uh, the option to go down. Um, and I loved working with the people. I was working in a very large law firm, so I loved all that side of it. And so I knew I liked the people side of working, but I found myself clock watching and um, clearly... Um, that's a really important um, aspect in terms of time recording as a lawyer. So I just found myself out of love of the really the, the process that we had to go through as lawyers. And so I moved into legal recruitment. Um, and that was, as you say, over 25 years ago. And I haven't looked back since. Absolutely loved it. Never have that Sunday night feeling. So I feel quite lucky in some ways. And obviously, what a great background, because you actually knew what you were looking for. You'd worked with people. So I can see how that fits really nicely in the recruitment sphere. So how did you get into the diversity and inclusion angle? Yeah, so um, I I started off life on the legal recruitment side. So I absolutely knew what I was looking for Um, and then started to move over towards the HR side as a recruitment business. Obviously, an HR professional is a really important stakeholder. Um, So talking to customers and really understanding what was on their minds, um, the topic and the themes around diversity and inclusion started to come through very loud and clear. Um, Probably, I mean, it's been going on for quite some time, but from a recruiting perspective, um, about seven, eight years ago. So I really took it upon myself to make sure that we had a point of view on that. So as, as a very large recruiting business, we had all these touch points looking at dynamics around the world of work. So whether that was employers looking to position themselves as an employer of choice or whether it was um, candidates, so talent, you know, what was motivating them to move roles? Why were they choosing particular employers? If they were 
what we would call passive job seekers. So not actively looking what was likely to make them move. So really understanding that dynamic and, and capturing those insights and then relaying them to both candidates to help them make informed decisions, but also from a client perspective to help them position themselves as that employer of choice. So when we look at diversity and inclusion um, as Hayes, we certainly have an opportunity to have those conversations. And clearly the whole topic, there's mission creep, you know, it's touching on practically everything, you know, we, we, we look at them when we look at the world of work and dynamics. Um, so we had an opportunity there that we wanted to capture. And I felt passionately that, you know, I, I wanted to be the person to do that. Um, but also, frankly, we had a responsibility to do that, just given the size and scale of the organizations to kind of make sure that we were a playmaker, I suppose, in that respect. And that's where it started and really where it's grown from. So in terms of um, you were looking at it from the point of view, I say, as being an employer of choice, so that's attracting candidates and also from the candidates' point of view as to whether they want to work for organizations that um, take diversity more seriously, I guess. And is that why it's important for organizations to focus on this now? Is there um, a pattern that people are looking or seeking out greater I don't, credence in that area from an employer? I mean, very much so. And I think it's becoming more and more of a thing. Um, so when we started to look at diversity and inclusion, you know, the journey has, has, has iterated and evolved over the years. So it probably started off in the 70s as a bit of a kind of um, mitigation management of risk perspective, particularly against claims and very overt discrimination. Obviously, legislation came through on the back of that and was consolidated in 2010. Um, so it started off from a kind of risk management perspective. Uh, and probably coming from an area of, of fear. Um, mm. Then um, I think the way it's been evolving is it then became, it was linked to them being the kind of the right thing to do in a bit of a kind of a kumbaya type of way. Um, so very much soft, doing the right thing, treating people well. Um, and then McKinsey really brought it to life in 2015 um, in the first of a series of really seminal reports that they put together around diversity matters. And they started to put numbers against, actually, if you get this right, this will absolutely have a positive impact on the performance of your organization because you will engage your people in a really positive way. So at an individual and at an organizational level, it can really make a difference so the it started to be tracked in terms of you know if you like the smart thing to do so lots and lots of data are on that particularly around visible difference so gender and ethnicity in particular particularly at a leadership level so that developed a real head of steam and almost there was such an effort on making the business case that this was a thing we should do um, that people lost sight of the softer side of things in terms of in terms of it being the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think the dynamic in terms of where, where, where we are now is it's both. Both are proven and are the right thing to do. And from a candidate perspective, it is absolutely a fundamental requirement for individuals now. If we take competitive pay and rations out of it, 
actually the next most important thing they look for is, is this a place that I want to invest my time and my career? And is this an environment in which I can be my best self and I can flourish for however long I want to be in your organization? So that contract is very much now a two-way piece. An employer has to position themselves to a candidate, a candidate, an employee eventually wants to give their time, their effort. But there is so much upside in terms of discretionary effort that comes from um, an individual feeling like they are properly engaged in an organization and they are respected and supported that it absolutely makes business sense. And to not do this is a fundamental risk. So it's, it's, uh, there's this increasing thing, and I guess uh, along the same time that the employer brand became an important thing, this is about people identifying brands that fit with their values and, and, yeah. and culture and, and aligned a bit with the whole sort of, uh, was it McKinsey as well? It was, no, it wasn't. It was a, they too. So it was the um, war, war for talent, but the whole concept that people can choose where they want to go. And of course, I think since the pandemic, that's increased even more so, hasn't it, in terms of people making choices as to where they want to go, not just for diversity, but also in terms of flexible working and things like that. So, in, oh, sorry. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I think there are all sorts of factors in that. And I'm sure we'll come on to communication of that. But the the employer value proposition, the EVP, a bit like EDI, it's becoming a, a really big thing. Yeah. And to be able to articulate your purpose and what the contribution and impact is of an, of an individual joining your business and choosing to spend, you know, however long element of their career with them. Um, is a fundamental part of recruitment at the moment and that it's not just a millennial thing it is really across the piece um, and that's yeah. an interesting one actually because that could almost be a um not a myth buster right because the lots of things that the, the whole millennial thing I think that was quite fashionable and then I think it's been disproven hasn't it that actually there's any difference so is it just more sign of the times that people <laughs> uh, feel able to to do that and want to focus on that on that in terms of um uh, you know values I mean I say I guess someone like myself definitely not a millennial uh but maybe flexible or, or want to work somewhere where I think it's it's a good place to work now now we feel we're able to choose is it just that we're more aware well certainly at the moment with the um the very hot employment market that we're in um with you know record job vacancies and record numbers of people in work um, there is certainly this ongoing war for talent. And one of the fundamental parts around talent attraction is individuals don't want to work for the best company in the world, in the world. They want to work for the best organization for the world. And that's, that's the fundamental shift. Yeah. So okay. you really need to get your messaging um, right up and you know, front and center around that. And the ED&I side of things almost kind of flows from that. I mean, this is all quite fluid as these, these themes kind of come through. Um, so, you know, with, with us as an employer as Hayes, we have our, our mission um, and our, our promise. Um, and then ED&I kind of comes from that. Yeah. So if I just kind of position that really briefly, because I think we'll come back to it a little bit, but our, our purpose, our authentic purpose 
is to create opportunities and improve lives. That's what we say we do at Hayes to Sup in the Morning. Um, and as part of that, our promise to our people is that we will have a culture built on trust, respect, equity and inclusivity that enables us to live our values and achieve our ambitions and deliver our purpose. So you can see how it flows through. Um, and it's quite different. It's quite difficult to actually separate, separate the concept of the EVP and the values and the purpose with the DNI. The DNI is yes. the kind of policy practice and behavior that comes off that. And I can say what was making a connection for me there is maybe that, that the purpose it is that alignment with purpose, which links to engagement as well. So maybe people are wanting to feel that they align with where the organization is going and, and whether, you know, whether you're making shoelaces or not. But actually, if you feel that you're making shoelaces in an environmentally friendly way or you're planting trees for every time or or, you know, giving yep. jobs to people, you want to feel that your pound of flesh, once a better expression, um, is, is got more to it than just putting the hours yeah. in. It's, it's seeking more meaning, isn't it? Yeah, and that's right. And that that's where, again, anyone who is looking at kind of pay and reward, um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about wage inflation um, and obviously cost of living, but certainly wage inflation. And is there a race to the top? And for that's quite scary for a lot of organisations. It's like, you know, I'm going to lose people because mm. I just can't pay them. Mm. What, what they can get outside yes. of my organization. Um, but actually, there is a really interesting and creative piece to be done there when one looks at kind of like a total reward package. Yes. Because so much of what an organization can offer its employee or their employee is it's non-financial. It, it is is there some type of sustainability commitment? We had um, uh, zero heroes in, in hay, so around you know, plastics. Um, now, when we run an incentive day or a sales day, one of the incentives is the winning team can plant 100 trees um, as opposed to getting you know, a 50 quid voucher yeah. or a, a breakfast or what have you. Um, so looking at that is... You know, so volunteering day is really important, non-financial reward. What's your position? What's your impact on the planet? What role can you as an individual, as an employee, play in that organization over and above your job that makes a difference and an impact to what you fundamentally care about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, so it's quite deep and meaningful. There. It is. So, it is. So, yeah. All right. So useful, interesting. So that's kind of saying that people want their employers to to help them do more of that right it is interesting because I do wonder whether it, I suppose if your employer does it it helps you to feel yeah you can do some recycling at home but you might feel out of control in many areas of your life but if your employer is doing it you're making a bit bigger difference so that is something that gives you a sense of control which which helps there in terms mm. of contribution so I'm a, a recruiter in an organization what would you recommend um, that I could put in place to to increase diversity, I mean, perhaps before we go there, so that, that's very much about employer brand, wasn't it? There are obviously real benefits, as you said, there's clear business evidence about having a, a more diverse um, organisation in terms of leadership, in terms of better decision making and risks. There's various things that I've seen. I don't know <coughs> you probably have got other um, uh, other examples of the benefits. So perhaps if you can summarise those, and then, I, then I'd be interested to know 
what should I put in place if I'm a recruiter, whether I'm in a large organization or I'm a, an independent HR professional in an HR department of one, what can I do to make sure that I'm maximizing diversity? Sure. Um, so what are the benefits? At an individual level, um, you will have uh, more discretionary effort. You'll have increased loyalty. You'll have the confidence to speak up and speak out. Um, so you'll be able to share your views and your opinions. Um, so those will just be three off the top of my head. Um, you, from an organisational level, um, some of the kind of most obvious areas are richness of decision making. So you might come to the same outcome, but you are confident in the assurance of your decision making process when you have diversity around the table. Um, so you need to obviously kind of create those opportunities and there's an element around consistency around that. Um, but certainly um, better decision making, understanding of customer orientation, um, your top line numbers because your, your people will be more engaged, your productivity goes up. Um, and depending on the kind of organization you're in, your stakeholders give you a license to be at the table. You actually have a license to operate in a way that increasingly you're probably not going to be ha have that if you are not taking this seriously as an organization. So there's the benefits, but there's also the risks I mentioned as well. And those stakeholders um, uh, clearly include your, in include your own staff. Yeah. Um, but clearly they're all sorts of increasingly kind of quite public measurement points as well um, that information is readily available and anyone doing their research whether they want to invest their some of their career with you whether they want to invest their money with you um, they um, are going to have a look at those public um, evidence points um, so just going back to your to your um, second part of the question which is uh, what do you need to do in order to attract a more diverse um, pool of candidates into your business. Um, the starting point is you've got to be consistent. And this isn't a, we'll have a go, it hasn't worked, I'm going to pull out. Um, so we'll come on to the consistency and those touch points in a minute. Um, before you do that, before you jump into these things, and very often as an HR professional, you will be the person who is on the front line of delivering that strategy actually delivering the wants for all sorts of different reasons. So it can be, um, you can really be under the microscope and the temptation is just to start doing. And my first note of caution, I would counsel, don't start doing straight away because you could go down wormholes very, very quickly. And this topic, um, it's ever growing and there are more and more areas and considerations that are kind of coming into um, into scope. So first of all, have a look at your organization and say, actually, what's the data telling me? What are we doing well already? Mm. Um, what kind of feedback channels have I got to understand whether we have an organization that feels inclusive? Because when we look at, and if I take DNI for a moment, um, diversity is difference. That's all it is. Inclusion is finding a way whereby those different perspectives, opinions, experiences are captured and heard. So once we get to a situation where an organization is inclusive, then you haven't got to worry about the diversity side because actually you're probably operating at a place that you want to be. 
So, so that starting point is what data sets do I have? Um, what's my uh, turnover rate like? What kind of people uh, are leaving my organization? Is there a pattern there? What kind of people are we recruiting? Um, what type of, um, if you do uh, an employee feedback survey, um, most organizations do nowadays, have a really good look at that. Um, do I ask my people about, um, can you check, can they share their diversity demographic and their data with me? Often that's very much part of a, uh, an EDNI type survey. What are the disclosure rates? Are people choosing not to fill them out? Um, so just where are you at the moment? Um, and then link that to where you want to be and what you want to achieve. And try and avoid this being a box ticking exercise. Because again, it's very easy to say, well, um, we need to be reporting on X, Y, and Z. Therefore, I'll just go straight into that. Because when you look at diversity and inclusion, there will be probably two or three areas that you will lead on. Um, you don't have to do everything because you'll just get gold diffusion. So let's have a look at recruitment and we'll talk about this in a minute. Now, let's have a look at the recruitment process. Who is coming into our pipeline of potential talent and who is getting through the process? So let's have a little talk about that because it might be helpful just to bring it to life. So when we look at recruitment, first thing to do is to stop and look at your workforce. What does it look like? What information do we know about them? What are they sharing with us? Who's coming in, who's coming out? So what's my starting point? So take, take some time to kind of analyze that. Um, and then agree with your leadership team, what are our priorities? Because whilst there are a number of areas um, and tactics which cover all aspects of diversity, and I'll talk about flexible working just in just a moment, um, there are certainly certain tactics that you can kind of go down to reach out to certain groups and target um, certain groups in particular. So you need to, what's data telling you? What's your current starting point? Where do you want to be? And what are the two or three areas of real priority for the organization? So that's where, that's where you start. Then you start thinking about the sourcing side of it. So we call it... Um, uh, engage and apply. So source, engage and apply. So have a think about when we go to market, what message is my potential target audience receiving? So you've got to think about the language you're using, the imagery you're using. You need to think about when you're looking at a job description or a person's description, reduce to their core essentials the number of essential requirements that you have in, a, in, a, in, a, in an individual um, person specification or a job specification. The longer the list of essentials, the, narrow you, the narrower your pool will be. Mm. So if you, as I say, just bring it down to the essential list, you will have a wider group of people to potentially recruit from. In the market at the moment, you need to be flexible on all sorts of different levels. So flexibility when it comes to um, oven-ready skills and experience. If you're going for someone with five years experience from a particular sector with this background, et cetera, you will immediately narrow, the narrow your kind of, you know, obviously your potential talent pool. So again, on that, think about can I go for someone with two or three years experience 
grow my own. Let me look at competency-based as opposed to experience and pure oven-ready skills-based experience. So again, have a think about that. Um, flexible working um, is important. So I spoke about flexibility in terms of kind of skills and experience. Flexibility on working pattern, absolutely vital. Now, with the pandemic, some might say job done because so many organizations suddenly um, realized that their people could be working not in a five-day week in an office environment. Um, so does that mean that we're flexible working is here to stay? The reality is, is that at the moment, flexible definitely for a, a large number of roles um, applies to location. And we are obviously, you know, we've got people working in the hybrid working pattern. So we're seeing flexibility as far as location is concerned, but we are not seeing flexibility on time. And that is a really important consideration because there are many, many people who need to and want to work, not just flexibly in terms of location, but also time. And in part if time. you and part time. As in so part it's, time, yeah. yeah. As in part time. So it is part time good quality roles. Um, what are the reasons for that? We have um, people who have caring responsibilities will have increasing numbers of single parents. We have people who they want a side hustle. They have a passion. They want to live their lives flexibly. And if we can really embrace the concept of proper part-time working, good quality part-time working, that will open up a huge talent pool of people who have either not been able to access the world of work um, or they have chosen as a result of COVID and the pandemic to actually step away. And a really interesting demographic around that are the people who are kind of aged 50 to 64. And we have had a lot of people who have left the workforce largely in professional and semi-professional jobs. Nearly all of them were working full-time and they have chosen to become economically inactive. So that's something you should definitely looking at, you know, and you can just, you don't have to set it up from the get-go in terms of, I know I want to work somewhere, have someone who works on this basis. All you need to say is open to flexibility. Start the conversation. Well, actually, put that on. The, put that in your yeah. ad. Yeah. Put it in the ad. Open to flexible to, to flexibility, both in terms of location and also working pattern. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. And the rather sh surprising thing was there's a fantastic organisation called Timewise that focus on good quality part-time working. We do a lot of work with them, and actually, um, the number of roles that have been advertised as flexible in terms of part-time working, flexible time, hasn't gone up from pre-pandemic to now, post-pandemic, which is quite remarkable because you think, oh, flexibility is everywhere, but no. it's not when it comes to time. So I'm laboring the point, but it's really, mm. really important. And of course, just to say the other group that one can access through that, and it is a huge group, are people who are living with a disability or long-term health condition. Because again, just the requirement to be on all the time. And actually, if anything, I think we're all probably working a little bit more with this hybrid working. Um, it's just not feasible. Mm. Never mind, obviously, just the access to work piece. So interesting. The, the 
I didn't realise that. I'm quite fascinated by the fact that you say that there are fewer um, opportunities, there's no more opportunities despite this no message about it than, than there were previously. And it is interesting for me as, as someone who runs an SME, and again, maybe talking out to people who are in HR departments of one, and perhaps who've got quite rigid CEOs that they're working with, this might be one of the biggest things you can do to recruit. So certainly I know that some of the people that we've got in our team who we couldn't have afforded to to recruit actually when you gave them flexibility of time it get it actually means your budgets can go further because you can get exactly. great people let's talk about the people that with the 50 to 65 age group we've got the most experience in the marketplace can probably be highly highly productive um with with all of that experience if it's utilized effectively so 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 convincing people to to Let's summarize what I've got to say. So convincing um, people to be flexible, it's not about oven ready skills and experience, maybe look more competency based, minimize your list of essentials will open up your pool. So not having it's got to be got to be got to be but not being so rigid, um, yep. thinking about aptitude. Um, you're also talking about if you're wanting to uh, you know, take it serious, the diversity, look at what your actual gaps are, look at what you're doing um, First of all, I like the fact it was about inclusivity. So how inclusive are you? Because actually, if you are a naturally inclusive, a genuinely inclusive culture, then you don't have to suddenly go out and have one of every different. You know, it's, it's more about just making sure we're maximizing everyone's individual value. Um, but you were talking about don't do don't do a box ticking exercise, but think quite clearly, where are we currently? Where do you want to be in terms of um, your your strategy, whether or not it's and really about what's working, what's not working. Other practical points as well was about when you're going out and doing the adverts, so making sure that the language and the imagery is correct. So let me just come back. I've got two follow on questions, what you were saying there. One of them is maybe almost an, a follow on example. As somebody who's not done loads of recruitment or wasn't in that area, um, are there any sort of top tips that you've got for, for classic errors that people need to avoid if they are, whether it's a language or an image or, or those sort of things or whether, whether you've already covered it? So in terms of something like that. And the other one, I suppose, was if I'm talking to the CEO and they're saying, go out and get me the best person, I'm saying, well, we've got to have a very open remit. I suppose what they might say, well, if they can't do all, if this person can't do all of those things, as in I did have a wish list of 10 items, how do I know I'm getting the best person? So I appreciate those are totally different questions, yeah. again, um, whichever, in whichever order, but those are two things that I thought um, I'd be interested in understanding your thoughts on. So I'm going to take the last one first because that's the one I remember. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go. We'll go to the. Uh, we'll go to the first question. So um, you don't want to hire difference for difference sake. The purpose of having a an inclusive recruitment process that encourages and is open to diversity of skills and experience is to make sure that you have the right combination of people in your business. Now, all of this is proportional as well. Mm. So if at the end of the day, having gone through a well thought out, consistently applied, and there are other checks and balances, which I'll come on to in a second, actually, which I didn't get around to saying, um, consistently applied attraction and selection process the person you hire is the profile of what one might expect in terms of a stereotype or, or the profile of the person who previously, previously left the job. Mm -hmm. um, that's fine because ultimately 
you are confident that you have gone through the process. So that's where it can't just be a box ticking exercise. And if you spoke to anybody from any underrepresented group and they mm -hmm. felt they had been appointed into a role be because of their characteristic, yeah. they don't want that, that you know, mortified. Where we want to get to is the pool that you are selecting from is as diverse as it can be. And then everyone's in with a fighting chance. Now, that feels quite manipulated in terms of, you know, the going out and making sure that, you know, your language is inclusive and the imagery is talking to, you know, the widest possible demographic. You're talking of flexible working. You have to put all of those elements into the process in order to not have unwitting blind spots mm -hmm. whereby you are unwittingly excluding certain groups so that so would be would, for example the flexibility piece yeah so what so flexibility i get so what would be an example outside of flexibility of non-inclusive language because i can get your photo images that you need to make sure that yeah. you're representative yeah. different things so at the moment there's quite a lot of and there's all sorts of ai programs around this as well and there are free to use tools um but they're kind of gender decoders. And so there's a lot of focus around male and female like language. And so if you have um, words like um, uh, ambitious, determined, um, really focused on kind of leadership side of things, they are quite male. Um, on the female side, if you're looking at kind of collaboration, team working, um, inspirational, those are words you should, you just have to make sure that the, the, the combination of words you use, you don't veer off mm -hmm. into, you know, being pushing, pushing, pushing or being super, super soft. Those are massive stereotypes, by the way, but they yes. are known as being an issue. Uh, and again, just on the essential requirements piece, I mean, everyone, I think people will know this, but I'll just make the point that it is well proven that if you have a, uh, a person description um, and you're looking for certain characteristics and certain requirements. Um, a man is more likely to apply for a role if they meet five, six out of every 10 that are required. And a woman won't apply because you're focused on the one or two things. So again, massively stereotyped, but stereotypes are there for a reason. So that would just be an example mm -hmm. of that. Let me just, um, this, coming back to this kind of rigor and this process point, um, if I can just finish off this. So we spoke about the plan, you know, look before you jump type of thing, or else you can go into wormholes. Um, then you've got the find, engage and apply piece, which is really thinking about your messaging and is it inclusive? And you may choose, it's a little bit time intensive, but you may choose to also um, engage with certain partnerships or organizations or community groups to make sure you're reaching out to um, a wider audience. Um, lots of those. The last point is this whole match and select piece. So this is where once you are confident that you've reached out to the widest possible talent pool, then as part of the selection process, whether it's you as HR doing it single-handedly or you're working with a line manager whose you know, decision it might be as well, and no doubt it would be, it's really having a look at making a contextual decision. So again, if you've only ever recruited someone from a Russell Group, Russell Group University and that's that, well, why is that? Um, and there's all sorts of different ways in which you can find the best of, quote, the rest, 
historically and kind of, you know, um, if you look at kind of previous trends and what, what, what's been done to kind of buck the trends. So contextual decisions, really insisting if you're working with a, su a supply chain um, or if you're working with like, IE recruiters or if you're working with a line manager who is shortlisting and they say, well, I want to see these people pushing back um, and being provoking a conversation if that doesn't look like it's a balanced slate. Why is that? Why are we only recruiting people who look like this? And if they're in your supply chain, you can certainly push that down the line. And it's a slightly more difficult conversation manager but again if you've embedded the idea of actually it's good for us to have some difference in the organization mm. hopefully they'll be open for that so be brave to provoke and challenge on diverse slates and also when you're going through the interviewing try and avoid just having one person only do the interview try and have a second set of eyes on the interview and even if you have a second set of eyes on there um, also before a final decision is made think about inviting someone else in as a critical friend to the process whereby they are asking you to explain the process you have gone through and they can kind of again they're given permission to call out well what why is that important to you do you really need that you know and just to challenge any yeah. um bias this is all about bias the bias that might be coming into the system so just um, those are you know, other aspects there. And then what was your first question, Lucinda? Sorry. Well, actually, you did answer it because it was oh, really okay. about the top tips for avoiding um, being discriminatory in the advert. And you kind of gave me examples of language. So that was that was where that yep. was. So you answered both of those questions in fairness. OK, so that, those were your and that was also your structure that you were saying there in terms of an yes. process. So plan, find, engage um, and apply. It's about clarity in terms of um, of this, and then also uh, more focus. I can't read my emoji now. <laughs> what was it? the last point? The more focus. <laughs> I've lost my like, I've lost my scribble. <laughs> then I'll turn to the bullets there. Yeah, I think um, one. Can I just make one other point in terms of making sure you follow this through? And this is again a data point that it's all very well bringing difference into your organisation. You know, job done, one might say, but you absolutely have to follow through and say, actually, are those individuals staying in my organization or are they bouncing out? Yeah, because that's how inclusive so, you really are. 100%. So you need to track that through and have the confidence to have those regular check ins with mm -hmm. everybody. But actually, if you have deliberately introduced someone who thinks and potentially feels about the world a bit differently and you've done that as part of your DNI strategy you need to be having a conversation with them and one of the ways in which I would encourage organizations and also it's a really important selling point as well depending on your organization size even if you're an SME to have some type of employee forum whereby they can either well collectively feedback on what their lived experience is mm. that's really important so as the leader of an organization or someone who's an influencer you need to be a really good active listener and you need to go out there and seek opinion and be open to potential challenge on the way things are being done it's very difficult for an individual to do that um, unless they're very extrovert you know they'll say well, I take it upon myself to tell you what I think of, of this organization no 
what you want to be doing is creating an environment, whether it's a town hall, whether it is, I mean, yes, of course, employee surveys are one thing, but actually just talking, communication, conversation is, is really, really important. And then the feedback loop. As a result of what you've said, we have done X, Y, and Z. What more can we do? So yeah. just the two-way feedback loop is really important. And that's, that's, the, that's the gift and the, the, what's it called? The special source oh, yeah. of, of an inclusive leader yeah. is listening. It's listening. And that actually reminds me of, um, I did, we did a sort of series of diversity topics about five, six months ago. And um, there was a guy, uh, I think it was William T. Warlock, he was talking about um, inclusivity in his, his organisation from the States. And it was talking about just having forums and not having, not necessarily going for, you know, the, the women's forum or the disabled forum or whatever, the, you know, not going for specifics, but actually yeah. just having forums where people listen and talk and advocate for each other. <coughs> That's more of a truly inclusive um, of culture there, which, which I, I liked the idea that- of rather than filtering down. Yeah, I'm interesting because we have this kind of, you know, this concept of intersectionality. You're not just one thing. You're all sorts of all sorts mm. of different things, you know, make up the way in which you see the world and the world sees you. Um, so that that, again, I would say is, is Nirvana. You know, we shouldn't mm. actually have to have these special interest groups or these you know, community groups. I would suggest if you're starting off, I would probably start with a group that has a shared experience or characteristic it doesn't have to be one of the protected characteristics i mean in in hayes we have a parents at hayes group because that's what brings everyone together um and but we also have a pride network and we have a reach network which is our disability long-term um and uh, illness and long-term health condition group and you know in that group particularly actually well also in, in all of them as we've brought them through and brought them up we started the conversation exclusively and invited people. And it was, it, we didn't tap people on the shoulder. It was like, would you like to be part of the conversation um, as we try and understand our, our, the dynamic of our organization better? So we invited people um, to, to join and they did. Um, and to understand a common lived experience is a really important starting point. And then as it evolves, I think you start to, take wider issues and what have you um but i would probably start off with closed smaller group with common shared experience to start off with just to create that safe voice and that collective voice yeah that's really helpful in terms of that sort of that's what you're doing that's how you could start something like this um if you're Mm. somewhere internally and i mean i guess it does depend on the size of your organization absolutely so we've covered huge amount of, of content here <coughs> in terms of our final thoughts or your final thoughts for somebody um there and we talked about look at the data be planned about it don't get into a box ticking um exercise here uh whatever you decide to do make sure that you do it in a consistent way so you follow through on it i guess which see whether or not you're getting results the stuff about we the whole point of this is it's about recruitment um opening up the just being much more open and maybe that's a really massive takeaway, flexible and minimising your list of essentials. So anywhere, uh, if you're going to say, maybe I haven't covered them, would they be your top three takeaways or what would be the key takeaways, Yvonne, that you'd like people to take from this in the context of DNI in recruitment? So first one would be 
these things don't happen by chance. So you have to create the environment and the platforms and the communication to do this. So you are, if you're the, if you're the person who is charged with taking the lead on this, it's going to feel very manipulated and purposeful. And that's fine because you're trying to shift behaviors that perhaps and patterns of recruitment, et cetera, that an organization has always done. So it will feel uncomfortable and that's fine as yeah. long as you know okay what your objective is. It is, it is okay to be contrived, correct. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first thing. Second thing, I'm going to say again, flexibility, but not just where, mm-hmm. where am I working in every respect? Yeah, absolutely essential. That is the silver bullet. Open minded, isn't it? That you completely. absolutely need to nail. Um, and then uh, with the with the just the proviso, actually, that uh, sometimes people still have this kind of presenteeism piece. And if you've got people who are choosing yeah. to work location wise, um, you know, uh, away from the office for a period of time, and you've got other people who are, you're going to have, you're going to start creating in groups and out groups again. So that just mm-hmm. be mindful. That could be an unwitting consequence yeah. you need to be very, very mindful of. And I think um, the third, the third element is communication. Um, so internally, you want to be showing your employees and the people who are giving their time to work with you that. Um, their voice is being heard, celebrated, where appropriate acted upon, progress is being made. Um, so internal communication, absolutely important. Voice of the leader, very important link to that. Um, it's got to be owned by leadership and not just HR. Um, and um, externally, you know, communicating your story. You do not have to have, um, find end result and a, successful case study all wrapped up in a bow job done the reality is this job is never done it is ever moving on so you need to show whoever your target audience is whether it is for this conversation recruiting or whether it is other stakeholders you need to share your journey um, and be humble with that and no one has all the answers so just to show that we know this is important, we're committed to it in an authentic, really you know, well-meaning way. And this is what we're doing so far. Come and be a part of our journey. Come and make the difference. We welcome you. That's a really, really powerful message. Fantastic. Great. I think that's all we've got time for. But uh, nice sum up there in terms of be, be intentional. It's OK to be contrived flexibility in every sense of the word and communication show your journey and and share what you're doing and, and that kind of that openness um makes you more accessible i guess doesn't it and more authentic absolutely wonderful absolutely. yvonne thank you so much for joining us today it's been really um really insightful having you on the hr pricing podcast my pleasure thank you for having me so i hope you found that useful it was certainly comprehensive if wasn't it that conversation with yvonne uh As you might expect, there are lots of resources that Hay have um, that they can offer out to you if you're interested to know more of that. So I've put links in the show notes, which will take you to various things in terms of diversity and inclusion. And of course, we've also done previous episodes on this. I did mention, I think it was William 
Rollack that we did, I think it was back in October. So that was, uh, or if this is a topic that's a hot topic for you, just have a look back to episodes 130, um, episodes 129 and 131. So diversity inclusion, making the business case, total inclusion with William Rollack and practical diversity and inclusion strategies. So some three really topical and um, useful, I think, actually, uh, episodes if this is a topic that you want to know more about. Okay, thanks for listening. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.